You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. And Nehemiah actually probably didn't write the book of Nehemiah. It's actually Ezra. But, but what, ne- what it is, is it's Nehemiah's journal. It's Nehemiah's journal. And Ezra just commits it to, to writing down, okay? And so Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the Persian king Artaxerxes. The land that he was part of, one of the tribes of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, had been exiled uh, over a hundred years before this point. And so Nehemiah has integrated himself and come to a bit of prominence within the Persian kingdom. And Nehemiah finds out about the status of the walls of Jerusalem, and it breaks his heart. It breaks his heart, and then the, God gives him a burden for these walls. So this, this pain, this sorrow, which is natural for Nehemiah, turns into a mission, a burden. And when God gives a burden, here's what you have to understand, because burden has two different uh, definitions. A burden can mean something heavy, something, uh, um, just something that's hard to carry. But with God, a burden doesn't mean that. Jesus, as a matter of fact, says, take my yoke upon me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so what Nehemiah is actually happening is a grace is coming on Nehemiah to become a solution to the devastation of the walls of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was not just the motherland for Nehemiah. Jerusalem wasn't just the city. He, he, it wasn't even the city that he grew up in. What what Jerusalem was for Nehemiah was something that stood for much more. And in a nutshell, what it stood for was the presence of God. Because in Jerusalem, there were several important things. The temple was in Jerusalem. The temple was in Jerusalem. And in the temple was the presence of God. Not only was the presence of God there, but the word of God, God's word, dwelt in that place too. And Nehemiah knew, and what broke Nehemiah's heart so deeply about the walls of Jerusalem being in devastation was this, is that when the walls were down, those things were in jeopardy. They were not coming out from Jerusalem. They were not feeding and filling her people. Her people were run apart. They were set apart. They were were scattered out from the furthest points from there. They weren't joined together under the purpose of the covenant that God had called them to. Here's what we have to understand. That when we talk about city restoration or restoration of any kind, it is for the purpose so that the glory of God can come forth from us and begin to draw people to Jesus. See, because when the walls came up and the temple was restored, what we see further in Nehemiah is that sacrificial worship was restored. The people came together. And what took place, we'll see, I don't want to give too much away, is revival occurred. Revival occurred in Jerusalem. And so we see Nehemiah captured by this burden, and he goes before Artaxerxes, and he reluctantly gives his request. And what he finds is this collision between fear and favor. And isn't that the thing for all of us when God calls us into the bigness of his plans? When God calls us into his plans, period, they're bigger than us. And that is the purpose. See, when God calls you, it is bigger than you. And that's for a reason. 
It's to draw us into a dependency upon him. And Nehemiah there standing before Artaxerxes, he has this moment where Artaxerxes looks at his face and says, why are you downcast? Which could mean one of two things. Either I'm concerned about you or I'm going to kill you because it's not good for you to be downcast in the presence of the king. And Nehemiah looks to the Lord and he begins to say, why should I not be downcast when the walls of the city that I love are torn down? And he begins to pour out his heart, and he receives favor, and he goes in. And then the next thing that we see is this, is he goes down and he surveys the walls there. And it's worse than they could even imagine, but Nehemiah goes by himself, and he, he looks in those walls, and he, he captures a vision. He captures the vision that God had put in his heart, and then he turns to his nobles, and he turns to his men, and he said, we're going to do this. He gives them the vision. What's important about that? That as the body of Christ, we have to be captured with the vision that captured Jesus' heart. That we've got to be motivated for the reason with the reason that Jesus went to the cross. You know, Jesus said something that's just really amazing. He said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. Why did Jesus lay it down? Because Jesus loved you. No, no, listen to what I said. Because Jesus loved me. Because Jesus loved creation that he and the Father created. And he knew that the place for creation was beside them in relationship. And so when we capture the vision that God has for people, that Jesus has for people, then it becomes easy to go and to carry the message of reconciliation. But today, what we see ourselves in in Nehemiah chapter 4 is a bit of opposition. I know this is uh, probably not a fun message to dive into, but... I think it's a necessary message. As I sat back and I, I was um, just thinking about the last year, about 2015, and thinking about some of the high points, some of the low points, and saying, you know, I don't really remember being mad too much. You know, I know I've been mad, but I don't remember what I necessarily was mad about. Anybody ever been there? You think, yeah, I know this last year. I probably was pretty angry about some stuff, but I can't remember anymore. Well, just a little takeaway from that is maybe you don't spend so much time being angry, right? But I began to think about it. You know, the things that really stand in the way of our calling that God's called us to and the, and the, and the things God's put in our life to do is the fear of opposition, And if there's anything that we can set our focus on this year in the understanding of the bigness of the things God's called us to is understanding how God deals with opposition in our behalf. Because what we see in Nehemiah chapter 4 is that there's a group of folks that are coming against the rebuilding of the walls. And they come against them with two forms of opposition that I think actually parallel the way that the enemy comes against us. And we see this in, in Nehemiah chapter 4, but before we do that, I, wanna, I just kind of want to direct our focus on what opposition is and how opposition works in our life. And some of you guys say, well, I, I don't necessarily want to talk about that, but you, you need to hear this and you need to understand this definition. Let me say it like this. God is not attacking your relationships if you're not walking in forgiveness If you're not carrying the fruit of love, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you say, Pastor, I I can't believe I had all these these, these relationships that that turned on me. They were angry. They were were painful. But yet, you're not walking in love. 
you're not walking in forgiveness, you're not carrying the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that is not the enemy opposing you. That is you not humbling yourself under the authority of the Word of God. And the same thing can be applied to anything, your finances. Listen, if, if Pastor, the enemy attacked my finances this year, do you have a budget? Do you have a plan for your finances? Have you submitted your finances to the authority of God's Word? Because if you haven't, it's not the enemy. That's not the enemy opposing you, attacking you. No, that's just you failing to humble yourself under the authority of the Holy Spirit and under the Word of God. Why is this important to understand? I'm not trying to offend anybody because we have to understand that the enemy attacks the redemptive purposes of God in us. The enemy attacks the redemptive purposes of God in us. So if your relationships are being redemptive, God's called you to bring restoration, there's a chance the enemy is going to oppose that. For some of you, you feel like your finances are called to be redemptive. And for all of us, we used our finances in a way to be redemptive last Sunday when we gave to to show people the love of Jesus. The enemy attacks the redemptive purposes of God in us. And we see this through Nehemiah chapter 4. And this opposition happened in two ways. For the Jews rebuilding the wall, the first way was through ridicule. The ridicule, and all that is, is mocking. The mocking, the nagging, the trying to declare inadequacy over us. Failure, the past, failures, those things. And the second opposition that hit them was this, was a threatening, a terror. And this is an extreme fear, the fear of harm, the fear of destruction. But God had an answer For Nehemiah and the Jews rebuilding the wall that turned away the opposition. And if we can go into 2016 saying, listen, no matter what opposition comes against our redemptive purpose, we're going to anchor ourselves in the authority of God's word and overcome. It's going to be a great year. It's going to be a great year. So let's look what Nehemiah did. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, I'm going to read this. And you can read on the screen or in your Bibles. When Sambalot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became very angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and was in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. And he said, we, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifice? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox could come up on it and would break down their walls of stone. It's kind of funny to me because when we read this, I see Tobiah as a little kind of gimp guy standing next to the big bully. You know, the bully delivers the whole big, you know, puffed up speech. I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to tear you up. And the little gimp sounds, yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, we see Tobias just kind of giving just lame little kind of insult, throwing it their way. And here's the problem. This ridicule that happened here. And, and, and here's just a little bit of background. This is Sambalot was the governor of Samaria. And so he sees Nehemiah coming down. And in essence, Nehemiah became the governor of Jerusalem. And he's feeling threatened. And so here comes this ridicule here. And this is what the enemy attempts to do in our lives 
when we begin to pursue the redemptive purpose of God, the things that he's called us to, as we begin to pursue them, listen, the enemy will attempt to ridicule you in your calling by highlighting the impossibility of the task. This is what Sambalot did. He said, listen, is it possible for them to do this? This is an impossible task. They're weak, they're insignificant, and that is what the voice of the enemy says. Listen, you can't do it. It's too big for you. When you step out to do the thing that I called you to, people are going to laugh. People are going to know. They're going to know that it's not possible for you to do this. Who are you to stand up and do this? The second thing that attempted the enemy attempted to do by this was to regurgitate the past failure and attempt to keep them from their future. It's interesting to note that Sambalot said this. He said, well, they bring these stones back to life from those heaps of rubble. In essence, this is what he was saying to the Jews rebuilding the wall is that, hey, I remember the story. I know. I know of the great conquest that when Joshua came through the land and de defeated all the, the enemies in Canaan here. I know the stories of David when they built the walls. I know how mighty it was. But what happened then? They got tore down. You think you're any better than the mighty armies of David or, or Joshua or the, the God who came before you and, and your forefathers? Are you any better than that? They failed. You will too. And this is the voice of the enemy. When he comes to ridicule the redemptive future, because here's something that's very interesting about your future and your redemptive future. Oftentimes, it is directly rooted in what you overcame in your past. And so the enemy steps in and tries to, remember, tries to get you to remember your past and say, how are you any better than the failures of yesterday? Ah, that's painful. I know who you are. I know what you were addicted to. I know what you, you failed at over and over again. I know the things that happened in private. I know how are you any better than those things. Third thing, the enemy will, get, will challenge the redemptive nature of your calling. Just directly challenge it. Sambalot said this concerning the wall. He said, will they offer sacrifices? Wow, that's personal. Stop and just kind of think about that for a second. See, Sambalot wasn't just hurling accusations and just hurling ridicule at Nehemiah and the Jews rebuilding the wall, he was trying to get them exactly in the most painful areas. And this is how the opposition of the enemy works. He looked at them and said, are you going to rebuild these walls so you can offer sacrifices? Are you going to come back under the redemptive nature? In the same way, the enemy will get this and say, listen, hey, you, you can't step out into the big things that God's called you to, into the redemptive purposes of that. He'll challenge those things. But listen to what Nehemiah did. This is critical. This is how we overcome this. Immediately, what Nehemiah did in verse 4 is he turned to God. He turned to God. This is so beautiful. I, I love the fact that Nehemiah took the time to journal the exact words that were spoken there the things that he heard. But he had a decision to make. In Nehemiah 4, he says, Hear us, O God, for we are despised. 
This can't be overstated. That when the enemy attempts to ridicule us, to to speak lies into our redemptive calling that he's called us to. Some of you listen, and this is very, very, um, just very raw and real in the area of relationships. And some of you are saying, listen, there's been some things that you've been part of the cause of a broken relationship, but the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and saying, it's time to restore those relationships. And you're having to go back in there, and all these things keep popping up. Hey, this is who you were. You now, now you're trying to make this redemptive when you spend all that time destroying it? And you have to do exactly the same thing that Nehemiah did. You have to turn to God. You have to turn to God because here's what happened. So you have two choices whenever you hear these things is that you're either going to respond to those things from an area of your flesh or you're going to turn and allow God to speak to you in your spirit. You have two responses in these times. You're either going to listen to them and allow them to break you, or you're going to respond in your flesh, or you are going to turn and listen to what God says and receive it in your spirit. And there's a reason why turning to God in these times is so significant and important. When we look at God as the source... We're remembering that what we're called to is supernatural, which means it's, it's bigger and beyond us. So when we turn to God, we're turning to him as the source. We're turning to him first as the source. And this is exactly what Nehemiah had to do. He knew that the task was too big for them. Not only was the job physically big itself, but now the opposition was coming against the hard job. But he remembered the truth that It was God who called him. It was God who called him. And what he was called to was supernatural. It allowed God, Nehemiah, to see God as the one who accuses the accuser. See, when we turn to God in the midst of our opposition, what happens is this, is that we allow God to do the fighting for us. In the prayer that Nehemiah he says, listen, remember their words. Remember the ones who have stood against us and hurled insults against us. He wasn't being vindictive. He was allowing God to fight against his accusers. And see, when we turn to God, what we're doing is that we are, we are choosing, we are choosing to let God fight our battle for us. We're choosing to let God fight our battle for us. He's the one that accuses the accuser. We're allowing God to be redemptive through us. We're allowing God to be redemptive through us. And here's the result. This is what happens when we choose to turn to God in the midst of the opposition. In verse 6, we see this. This is what Nehemiah said. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. And the people worked with all of their heart. When we choose to turn to God in the midst of ridicule and opposition and the lies of the enemy, God will strengthen our heart. He strengthens our heart. In Psalm 73, 25 through 26, it says this, Whom have I in heaven but you, and beside you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There's something so important in turning to God in these moments, in these times, 
And listen, you have to understand that you are called to a redemptive purpose. Every person here, you're called to a redemptive purpose in your workplace, in your home, in this city. And when the lies of the enemy pop up and, and try to distract you, to try to bring you into a place of failure or fear, turn to God. Turn to God. Turn to God. Allow Him to become the redemptive force in your life. Now, here's a problem number two that we see. And this happens in Nehemiah 4, 7 and 8. It says this, But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem, stir up trouble against it. Now here we see something taking a, a bit of a, a darker turn. Is that now the enemy is opposing the work against the walls of Jerusalem with threats of terror and fear and harm. This is the problem. And this is what we, some of us fear in our lives. That as we begin to step out into the things God's called us to do, that the other shoe is going to drop. That something bad is going to happen. And a lot of times the enemy pivots off of experiences in our life that we've seen that or felt fear. Here's what happened. Here's the problem. This is what fear does. The threat of terror in our life does. The first thing that we see in verse 10 is that the people of Judah came the people working on the walls came and they said to Nehemiah, they looked at him and said, listen, our strength is giving out. And see, this is the attempt of the fear of terror in our life. Think about it even from the standpoint of terrorism in the world. It's amazing that even the smallest percentage of a city's population when it's terrorized can shut down the entirety of the whole city. This isn't a physical thing. This is a spiritual principle here. And it's the same thing with us. And, and, and listen, there, I know that there are people here this morning who are terrorized by fear. And it's related, directly related to your redemptive calling. To say, God, if I step out in this, I am fearful. There is a fear that is paralyzing and is gripping me. Understand this. Now, now, here's something. Let's pause for a second. Let's understand this. That all of the opposition brought by Sambalat and Tobiah and, and the people opposing the work of the wall never materialized. Isn't that interesting? That everything that was put up against the Jews never materialized. But yet it had a portion of grip over their thinking and over their heart. And this is how the enemy lures, lures us into stopping, stealing our strength. It's through the threat of fear, of violence, of harm. So we see this in verse 10. Their strength was giving out. The people came to Nehemiah and said, listen, we don't have the energy to fight anymore. We, don't, we, can't, we can't do this anymore. We're growing weak in our strength. The next thing that happened was this. In verse 11, 
they said this. They heard this from the enemy. The enemy kind of let the word get spread out into the people there. And they said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to their work. The enemy will try to sow seeds of terror to stop you in your future, your future calling. Let, let me explain it like this. And just the personal thing that, and, and again, I've, I've said this before, but it takes a personal turn for me here, okay? And how this plays out. And, and, I, and I understand this, this is a personal thing for some of you here today, too. When my mom got Lou Gehrig's disease, I remember uh, when it first happened, I was, I was actually working here. And it was, we had a wall up in the back, and our offices were right there. And I remember getting the phone call. My mom had gotten a bad accident. A car flipped over and hit her, landed on her car. She was in the hospital. She ended up being fine. But as a result, they went through some processes, and they figured out that she had ALS. And I remember hearing about that. And immediately, the first thing that hit me was terror. Because what I did was I figured out what it was, and I figured out that it was genetically passed. Some of you are knowing exactly what I'm saying right now. And so I remember going in and talking to my, I traveled home and I talked to my mom, and my mom gave me the best wisdom that I ever received. Told me two things. She said, trust the Lord and go talk to your pastor. <laughs> she did. And I remember being gripped by fear, by fainting, feeling, feeling symptoms, feeling this thing, and the enemy was working me over. Why? 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 The enemy wasn't interested in killing my life. The enemy was interested in destroying my redemptive purpose concerning healing. And so... I came back, I talked to Pastor Monty, and he looked at me kind of silly, <laughs> and he prayed for me. Took authority over that lie, and it broke. It broke. Listen, for some of you, this takes a very real turn because you may be facing diagnosis. You may be facing words that have been spoken to you, or people have cut you out of their life. And the fear and the terror that has gripped your heart, what the enemy is trying to do is to try to steal your strength and steal your future hope. This is what happened with Nehemiah. The final thing. The enemy tried to sow seeds to paralyze them. In verse 12, it says, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Now, this is interesting, and I want you to hear this, please, because this has a little deeper significance. See, the first lie of the enemy came from the perspective of the people working on the walls. The second lie of the enemy came from the, the enemy himself. But this lie came from a different source. This came from the people of Jerusalem that were scattered outside the city walls that had lived there in this territory, years before Nehemiah came down. And here's what their life consisted of. Don't make too much noise. Don't do anything that's going to alarm the enemy because they will swoop in. They will steal your stuff. They will destroy your land. They will kill 
the people. And this happened over and over and over again. And the, and the Jews living on the outskirts of Jerusalem that had tried to come back to Jerusalem before Nehemiah, they were living in fear. They were living in terror, and it paralyzed them. And so they came to the Jews working on the wall and said, listen, here's what you got to understand, is that everywhere you turn, they're going to be there. When you look over your shoulder, they're going to be there. They're going to be right in front of you. You're not going to see them coming. And these words begin to sink into the hearts of those working on the wall. What was the enemy trying to do? He was trying to destroy the redemptive purpose of what God was doing in Jerusalem. He wasn't attacking Nehemiah. He was attacking the redemptive purpose. Here's the solution. Here's what Nehemiah did. He did two things. He fortified the low points. He fortified the low points. So when fear begins to grip you, begins to paralyze you, here's what you have to do. You have to fortify the low points. You have to understand that there is a place where the enemy is trying to sneak in that is low. You let your guard down somewhere. One of the revelations I had to come to that I was, was helped by, that people came beside me and helped me in this period of time that I was dealing with this fear and this terror in my life was this, that it is greater, that being a child of God is greater than Lou Gehrig's disease. For me, let me tell you exactly what this means. That I was covered, protected as a son, as a child of God. I had a low point in my thinking. I had a low point in my heart. There was something in my heart that was not lining up with the truth of the word of God. And Nehemiah went along and he said, listen, if they're going to attack us, they're going to hit us in our weakest point. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to make them strong. Now think about your life right now and think about your redemptive purpose and say, if there's anywhere the enemy can attack you, where is it? And make it strong. Let the word of God make it strong for you. Line it up with the truth of the word of God. Understand what God says about that area, whether it's your thinking or your identity, whatever it is. Encourage your heart. The second thing that Nehemiah did is he fortified their hearts. Verse 14, we see this. He said, remember the Lord. Remember what he has done for you. Remember his awesomeness. Wow. You see Nehemiah saying this. He said, listen, not only do we have to fortify the low points, but we have to fortify our hearts. Here's why. And Nehemiah saw this, and this is awesome. I really like this. You don't have to like this as much as me, but I like it. Because you're not going to fight if your heart is weak. There's not a reason for you to fight if your heart is weak. But Nehemiah looked at him and said, hey, we're going we're to take care of the low points, but, but hold on, this isn't going to solve the problem. What's going to solve the problem and put us back into the offensive instead of the defense? Defensive? Is when we remember who our God is. Hey, do you remember who God is? Do you know how awesome, how mighty, how strong he is? Is there a testimony of the truth of God in your life in a place where he's overcome? If you don't have one, talk to somebody who has one. See, because when we begin to allow God to encourage our hearts and understand who he is, how awesome he is in our behalf, what happens is that it motivates us for the fight. See, I'm not, I'm not telling you that opposition goes away, but what I'm telling you is that there's something greater in you than what's coming against you in the world. 
But what this kind of opposition does is tries to paralyze us. What God does is empowers us for the fight. And here's the result that we see. Is that the plans of the enemy were frustrated. And the people got back to doing the work. They started working with more diligence. More more power, more strength, and, and more supernatural ability. And this is what God will do for us. When we trust him and we lean into him, when we begin to fortify the low points of our heart and fortify and build and strengthen our heart is that he fights in our behalf. He will frustrate the plot and the plans of the enemy. Okay, we're going to wrap this up. Justin, you come on up. I'll be getting something out of this. I understand not, not everybody here is in a place where they're feeling opposition. And, and I'm not telling you to look for opposition either. But what I believe as we study the book of Nehemiah, what something that we can learn and something we can grab from this is, is understanding that sometimes we feel the opposition of the enemy. We see it. Don't take it personal. It's not against you. It's against the redemptive nature of God in you. But know this. that If you sense and you feel the opposition of the enemy, what you're called to is important. What you're called to probably means life and life and life and salvation for somebody else. And begin to guard your heart. Begin to turn to God. Begin to let him accuse the accuser in your behalf. Begin to listen to his words. Begin to take them on you. Begin to rely upon the Holy Spirit. Trust the Holy Spirit for strength. Look at the low points in your life and just and say, God, Holy Spirit, show me the low points. And if I need to change my thinking, hmm, So real quick, so we wrap this up. Here's what happened to the people working on the walls there. They kept going. They kept building. They got focused. They rested in the strength of their God. So as we put this together this morning, here's some things that we can do today. No matter if we're feeling opposition or if we are feeling opposition. The first thing is this, is we have to have a plan. Have a plan. This is the time of year that we plan. This is the time of year that we look and we take an assessment of the last year and we set some goals for the new year. Let's do something different this year. Let's let's have a spiritual plan. In verse 16 of Nehemiah 4, it says, From that day on, half the men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spear shields, bows, and armor. It was as if Nehemiah just said, that's it. We're not dealing with this foolishness anymore. We have a plan. You guys are working. You guys are holding, holding spirit and say, if you want to come fight, we got you. But we're not stopping. We're not stopping. What we are called to is so important. So you have to have a plan. You have to have a plan. Invite the Holy Spirit to help you 
have a plan for 2016. What, what's your plan in 2016 to grow in the Lord? What's your plan in 2016 to grow in the Lord? And it can't be just come to church. I like you coming to church, and I want you to come to church, and that should be part of it, but it can't just be that. You have to have a plan. You have to have a plan to grow in intimacy. If you're not growing in the love of the Lord, knowing who you are as a son or a daughter, and knowing how much God loves you, if you don't have a plan for that, then guess what? Nothing else will fall in line. You have to grow in the revelation of the intimacy, the love of the Father. You have to have a plan for that. Are you setting some time aside every day just to experience that love? Are you asking the Lord the simple question, one of the beautiful things that was sown into the ground of this church that I love so much? Just ask Jesus, do you love me? And listen. Do you hear what he's saying? Yes, I love you. Are you recognizing his voice? Are you feeling that connection in your heart? Do you have a plan? Do you have a plan to take some ground this year? You need to take some ground. I think one of the most common things as a New Year's resolution that I always have, and, and I, I don't <laughs> ever do, I'm going to plant a garden. <laughs> Any, anybody else? <laughs> no, forget it. It's just me, my deficiency. All right. Plant a garden. You need to take some ground. You need to take some ground. Parents, you need to take some ground for your, your children. I, simply put, I don't want my kids to have to struggle with the things that I struggled with. I want them to be able to walk in victory over the things that I had to gain victory over. Does that make sense? What about your workplace? Does anybody here have the authority, the boldness to go up to your boss? Maybe you don't have this kind of relationship. If you don't, don't do it. But if you do and say, 2016 is going to be the best year because the favor of God's going to be on this place. When it turns out to be, you might get a raise. I don't know. How are you going to take some ground? You need to take some ground. How are we going to take some ground in this city? How are we going to take some ground in our neighborhoods? Are you starting any conversations with coworkers or neighbors about how much Jesus means to you? Because it's time to take some ground. But we have to have a plan. Have a plan on how you're going to serve. How you're going to serve in the body. How you're going to serve your community. How you're going to serve. Why? Because it's very simple. That you need to be connected in relationship. First with the love of God. Second with the body. You need to have a purpose to go out. And you need to have a purpose to serve. You do. You do. If you're in this body, listen, you're here for a reason. You have to have a plan. Second thing is stay in fellowship. In verse 19 and 20 of Nehemiah 4, it says this, Then I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out. We are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sounds of the trumpet, join us here and God will fight. For us. Nehemiah realized something that isolation is the best way to be picked off. The way you fight against that is by staying in fellowship. 
this right here is more important than you realize. Some of you actually depend upon the hugs that you get here on Sunday morning. When people put their arms around you and say, I love you, I'm here for you, do you need anything? There's a reason why God's knit us in the body together. Oh, so I'm just going to unabashedly make a plug for our small groups too. That's one of the best values of our small groups is connecting people in relationship and staying in fellowship. And this year we're going to have some exciting, great small groups that are going to be started about all different things. And I want to invite you to get connected in those. Why? Because in 2016, I can, I can make you this promise that if you purpose to stay connected in fellowship, you will be so much closer, so much further ahead in accomplishing your redemptive purpose that God's called you to. And then finally, keep your armor on and your eyes steady. Keep your armor on and your eyes steady. In verse 21, he says this, we continue with the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. Nehemiah understood this, that they were going to have to always be prepared, always be prepared, but they were prepared for a purpose. They weren't prepared in fear anymore. Listen to that. Hey, hey listen, please, please hear me on this. They weren't putting on the full armor of God anymore because they were waiting for the devil to come up and jump them. They were putting the full armor of God on because they had a job and their job was important. They knew that their job had redemptive purpose. That ultimately it brought revival to Jerusalem. And every person here understand this, that as we choose to take the full armor of God on, that we do so understanding that we're doing it to pursue the purpose that God's called us to. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Wow. God is so good. Man. I just want to take a second. I just want us to all think about the things God has called us to this year. Maybe some of you know very clearly what God is speaking and saying. And I'm not, listen, maybe for some of you it starts with you. It starts with you. That this is your year of freedom. Or you walk in freedom for this whole year. Maybe you've been trapped in the past. This last year you've, you've battled with things, whether they be addictions or thinking. But this year is a year for freedom for you. And that's God's redemptive purpose for you. Some of you, parents, you need to think about it in terms of your family. You're saying, God, listen, there was the Sunday that Pastor Ken spoke. I just felt this, this, this seed of faith, just be, it was just deposited in here. And, and I restrained myself from jumping up and tag teaming with them at that point. But there was something put in the ground for, for restoration of entire families. And some of, you, some of you, you're in that place. You identify with that, and that's your redemptive purpose. And that's what you need to set your eyes on. Listen, the enemy has been lying, been beating you up, been opposing that. And in the name of Jesus, turn to God and receive strength. That's what he's called you to. Some of you, you might see it in your workplace that God's taking you, or you might see it in a new endeavor that you've been called to. 
And it's time. It is time to step out and to do that. But whatever it is, just take a moment and just begin to say, God, I'm, I'm opening my heart and I'm receiving the truth of what you're calling to me to in 2016. I'm receiving the revelation of your redemptive purpose. Because everything you're called to ultimately brings glory to God and brings people to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that, God, in this house, that you, Lord, your grace is abundant to every person here. Oh, Father, we thank you, Lord, that as, Lord, you speak to us and as you call us in this new year, Lord, that, that Lord, our, our hearts turn to joy, Father God, that, Lord, we begin to understand, Father, that the joy of following you in the callings that you've called us to, Lord, that it's a great joy, Father, to follow you. It's a great privilege to follow you. Lord, I thank you, Father God, for every redemptive purpose that's marked, Lord, in this room. Lord, no matter what it is, Father God, no matter what you are pushing our hearts toward, Lord, I declare great courage and boldness over every person. That, Father, we would follow our primary redemptive purpose, which is to, to know you, to know your love, to grow in you, Jesus. But then, Lord, as we look into the world, Father, that we'd be obedient to follow you there as well. God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you that you overcame the enemy in our behalf and that we don't have to fight against it. Lord, just like Nehemiah, he didn't have to lift anything. There was no tangible, no physical altercation, but God, you fought in their behalf. You did it. Lord, you called them into boldness. You called them into bold stands of, of faith. And Lord, lead us into bold stands of faith. Father, just renew our minds in the name of Jesus to the truth of what you've called us so that, Father, we know that our yesterday is in the past and, Lord, you've called us, Lord, as a new creation into new things, as sons, as daughters. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we turn to you and we rely on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 I just declare great grace and peace over you in the mighty name of Jesus. We won't see you this Wednesday, but we look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Have a great, great week. We love you.